Welcome to Lift Your Legacy. My name is Jacob Rupp, father, husband, and rabbi. And each week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you unlock your inner potential and create change that will impact the future. Thank you for listening, and let's get to it. So excited to have Ellie Finkelstein on today, who is the CEO and co-founder of Constructor, which is a company that sells a search as a service platform, software really, to large companies such as Jet.com. Uh, Ellie is a very exciting person to speak to because he is at the forefront of the tech world and of all the entrepreneurship that is coming out of Silicon Valley and San Francisco, and shares with us how an immigrant from the Ukraine who was interested in data science goes on to build a successful company. What goes into hiring and firing when you come from a very technical background? What are the kinds of ways of looking at how you think and how do you educate yourself? What kind of mentors should you get as you are moving and transitioning from one skill set that you're good at to a whole slew of other skills that you might not have yet? Uh, Ellie also shares some very interesting ideas about education, um, how the the youth can look at different experiences and leveraging that into the overall package. And what I found to be the most fascinating component, which is that your great skills might not get you hired. In fact, they might get you fired. If you have someone who's really good at something, but they're toxic for the company culture, you're not going to get the job. You're not going to hang on to the job. So how do you orient yourself, not just getting good at the actual thing that you do, but how do you get good at being a valuable part of a team that someone's excited to work with as opposed to trying to run away and get rid of you? You are in a fascinating space of AI and the development, you know, kind of what everyone's talking about in the, in the direction the world is going. You are a pioneer. You build a company. Tell me a little bit about your background in data science and, and how you got to where you are today. I was interested in computer science for a long time. I've been programming since um, high school, and I've been interested in human languages for a long time. Um, originally, I was from the Ukraine, uh, grew up bilingual, and then I, I learned a few others along the way, um, Hebrew, Spanish, and Croatian. And I was kind of looking for a place where I could apply both of those passions together. And computational linguistics, now most people know it as, as natural language processing, seemed like a, a really good junction point. And that was kind of what led me into data science in general. What was it like coming to America? And how do you think your experience as an immigrant has sort of shaped how you work and the kind of you know, opportunities that have opened up or not opened up for you? Um, so this is maybe a bit of a controversial thing to say now, uh, but... We were, I, I was very much raised on the American dream. Um, you know, we, we came here from, from Ukraine where there wasn't much possibility. My, my grandfather still talks about that all the time. Um, growing up, we were told about how much possibility, how much opportunity there was in the United States. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like I've, I've really been able to benefit from that. Like looking at, at where we were when we first came here, my whole family and where we are now, like America has been really good to us. Fantastic. So at one point, at a certain point, you jump out of data sciences and you go and you start to build your own company. Tell me a little bit about that process. So I used to work at a company called Shutterstock. Um, they they IPO'd a few years back. Um, I was there in, in the earlier days. I think I was employee number like 80 or something like that. Um, my co-founder was actually the, the first employee. It was their first engineer, um, later their CTO. And... Um, when I was working there, I was, I was working on the search team. That was where I got first introduced to the fascinating problem and sub-problems within search. 
And one of the things I realized and my co-founder realized as well while we were working on this stuff is that there are a lot of problems within search where you don't think that they would be incredibly valuable to solve, but then once you do solve them and A-B test them, the amount of extra revenue, the amount of extra conversions that you get out of them is, is massive. And this, this gets more and more true the bigger a company gets. I mean, you think about somebody like a Walmart, like if somebody could improve their search just 1%, that company makes, I think, $15 billion off of e-commerce every year. Call it like conservatively, maybe 30% of that off of search. So it's like $5 billion coming out of search every year. You improve the 1%, what is that, $50 million just off of a 1% improvement. So, so just to clarify for those who are completely untechnical, the fact, so when you would look for a certain thing, the fact that it would get to, let's say in this case, Walmart or the specific pro product that they're trying to sell, in order to do that process effectively, that's where you're saying this tremendous opportunity exists in order to find the people that want the thing and actually being able to get them to the right address to get it. Yeah, so I'll, I'll give you a few examples. Like um, when we were on Shutterstock, one of the things that I spent some time working on was just their auto-suggest. And we figured like auto-suggest is a nice-to-have tool um, probably it's not going to be hugely important. We noticed that um, we were getting a bunch of typos coming in through the auto-suggest, and so we thought, okay, we're just going to add typo tolerance into the auto-suggest. We're going to make it really good. Um, instead of just being like very basic off of edit distance, we're actually going to use phonetics and uh, typographical distance in there. We A-B tested it thinking like we might see like a 1% improvement tops. That'd be nice. Uh, it wound up being a 9.8% improvement wow. in total conversions at the time. And it was like, this is huge. That's really cool that that happened. But then it's also incredibly frustrating that this wasn't something that was already built beforehand. Like there would be a person who looked just like me working at basically every single other large e-commerce company trying to solve the same problem and some of them solving it correctly. So it kind of, uh, that was that was the genesis of the company really. Like we said, you know, there's a whole lot of opportunity to be had there. And there's a whole lot of people wasting time trying to solve the exact same problems. So you, your company is primarily reducing inefficiencies in search. So we build uh, enterprise e-commerce grade search as a service. So instead of needing to build that whole search stack yourself, you would just use our software. It's, uh, you would just plug it in. Um, we power some of the, the biggest searches online, like uh, jet.com. You can go there and, and play around with some of the stuff that we've built beforehand. Um, and we, uh, we kind of pay for ourselves. You can A-B test it. You can see the amount of revenue lift that you get, and it's definitely much more than what you're paying us. What was that like, trying to step out, especially in you know, San Francisco, Silicon Valley, kind of the, the, the hub of all of these massive things going on? Was there, was there a level of fear? Were you concerned? How did you step out? It's a good question. Um, I thrive on challenges. Like that's just something that I really enjoy. So this seemed like a really big challenge. Um, were you were you worried about about? I mean, go, you know, kind of going from a a job where you had a paycheck to you know starting your your company was that a concerning thing? Was there like a conversation that you had between you and your wife? I'm I'm going to do something crazy now, or or you just like we're going for it. <laughs> Yes, yeah, so it was actually funny. We were, we were planning on having a, our first child at the time as well, so that made it a little bit even, <laughs> even more worrying. But Good timing. Uh, yeah, exactly. Uh, I, I, I'm not a very, um, what's, what's the word for it? Uh, I, I don't have very uh, luxurious tastes. So um, working in, in San Francisco for the last few years and in New York before that, we were saving most of our money. 
Um, and so, you know, we had, we had built up a nice nest egg that it felt like, okay, we can not make money from this startup for, for a year, maybe a little bit more than that. Uh, I actually figured it out to be about two years when we first started. And so we can really give this to college try. And if it doesn't work, then I'll, I'll go back to being an engineer and um, going back to, you know, us not needing to spend a whole lot of money. Um, we would just be able to survive off of that after. But if I didn't try this, I felt like I'd always regret it. And luckily I, I got very lucky with my wife. Um, she was behind it all the way. So, so that, that's one thing that I hear quite often is that there's that nagging sense that if I don't go for it, I'm going to feel really bad. Was this the first time in your life that you had that kind of an experience? Definitely not the first. Okay. What are some of the other ones? I feel like my, my entire life is just a string of those experiences. Um, after, after high school, I really wanted to learn another language. And I didn't think that I would have an opportunity to, to live in another country and just do that probably ever again. So I spent the year after that, uh, actually, I went to Israel for a year. Wow. Um, I was studying over there and I was also working on a kibbutz for, uh, for a bit and um, got the chance to learn Hebrew and just experience something completely different. No, no regrets at all. I was a year later than I should have been in college, but um, it was a great experience overall. I, I, I actually, I love, I love that. If I, for two seconds, can go down that route. Um, yeah, I think there is a tremendous pressure amongst those who are not necessarily entrepreneurial, mi entrepreneurially minded or in general that, you know, there's like this, this system that you have to get out of college, you know, you have to get out of high school, you have to go through college, you have to get out of college, you have to get your first job at a good firm, otherwise you're screwed. So maybe if you could, if you could share a little bit about the benefits of just taking, you know, education outside of the classroom, what that was like, some of the, the techniques and the tools that you might've learned in this specific experience, like how did this go? I think seeing life somewhere else than, than where you grew up kind of gives you like a bigger picture frame of the whole world. Uh, it's it's easy to get caught up in just the problems that are around you specifically when you're growing up. Like I, I grew up in Tennessee, which is kind of a strange place. I'm not, not a strange place. I'm sorry, I shouldn't say that. I, I, I actually really enjoyed growing up there, but I know like culturally for, for the world speaking, it's you know, maybe small not, town America. Small town America, exactly. Right. right. Um and yeah, being able to to get out of there and, and see what uh somewhere completely different Israel was like I feel like at least subconsciously it, it opens me up to more new ideas. So that was really nice. Amazing. And what are some of the biggest challenges that you found as you kind of build your software? Obviously there's the funding aspect, there's the, the, the sales and marketing aspect. What were some of the hiring people? What did you find to be the, the most significant challenge in building your company and how did you go about addressing it? So it was definitely hiring in functions that we hadn't had experience in. So I'm technical, my co-founder's technical. I feel like hiring engineers wasn't a big deal for us because we'd been doing it for years. Um, probably even before I started the company, I'd done hundreds if not thousands of interviews of engineers. But then there were other functions like uh, sales, marketing that were incredibly important to the I mean, still are incredibly important to the company that we hadn't had experience hiring for and that we hadn't had experience doing ourselves. And so getting to a point where even knowing the right questions to ask, even having a feel for the right personalities that would fit in there, that would both be a good cultural fit, but also be good at their jobs. Um, figuring out what that looked like was an incredibly large challenge. So how did you go about addressing it? I read a lot. Fascinating. So, 
that, that that's very interesting. I think a lot of people are under the impression that you know, I, and I love that idea. If you think like the sales and marketing team and the tech, you know, background team, it seems to be you know very different languages. And what you're saying is, yes, it was, and it is a big divide, but it's not unsurmountable. You just educate yourself to learn the stuff that you don't know. It's really, really, really hard. I mean, this is like, uh, if I could give advice to, to anybody that's doing this in the future, like don't underestimate how difficult it is. Um, it's not, for, for, for me at least, like a lot of the time when, when uh, something seems like more of a challenge and I'm not sure how to surmount that challenge, um, it's more difficult to spend time focusing on it. And that, that would be the advice that I would give myself if I could go back, like, um, just create a plan, spend as, that you're not going to waste any time in, in this area. Like, this is something that as much time as you can possibly spend, as much of a plan that you can figure out um, to really get yourself up to speed, it's so worth it. Uh, between just finding good books to read on it uh, and getting advice from smart people that have done this beforehand, both that are experts in that field and that are experts uh, at this point having hired people uh, in that field. You know, people with similar backgrounds for, for, uh, to me, um, maybe other tech entrepreneurs that have also had this challenge and surmounted it. Figuring out a plan that involves talking to a bunch of them, that involves reading a lot about it was incredibly helpful. And if I could have gone back and spent even more time on it now, like I wish I had. That's, that's amazing. So in the entrepreneur space, how do you look at mentorship? Both, you know, are you at a point where you have a desire to mentor others? And are you consistently looking for people to help take you to the next level? It's both. Um, this has been one of the pleasant surprises in building a company, the, the community around it of, of people that have already done it. Like, I can't say this about everybody, but for the most part, people are incredibly kind and willing to help. If there's somebody specific that you want to talk to and they've got even some time, and these are all incredibly busy people, they're very willing to share their time and um, you, you feel in the desire to want to repay that. So I got a bunch of people's help, a bunch of people's time when we were first starting out. I still get a bunch of people's help, a bunch of people's time that don't owe me a thing. Um, and wanting to repay that to the, to the next folks that started off is, is a pretty big desire. Have you, in the, in the process of transacting business in, in a couple of different areas, do you find that the Northern California experience is, is unique or, or is there a kind of a common threat amongst people that are in the process of building companies of this sort of helpfulness and wanting to pay it forward? Um, I, I'm a big fan of Northern California. I, I think things are unique here. I think the energy here is, is very different. People feel like stuff is possible here that um, generally, I don't think people feel like it's possible in the rest of the world. Uh, there's, you know, just this uh, concentration of, of technology here that I don't think exists anywhere else. And there's this enthusiasm around it, um, at least around the tech community here that I've never experienced anywhere else. Uh, just building in, in that sort of environment has been really, really pleasant. If someone was asking you, and I think what you just said is a, is a fascinating insight that a lot of times the ability to solve problems stems from one's ability to think that they are solvable. So if a person's coming to you with a, let's call, again, it could be, you know, I'm a, I have a tech background, I'm trying to work on hiring, or it could be any kind of thing, you know, to what extent are you trying to cultivate, or maybe how do you cultivate a can-do mindset um, as a, you know, starting block before you actually start getting the technical stuff, how do we actually do this? Like, how important is that? And how do you build that? 
Are you asking how I cultivate that in, in our coworker, coworkers? In, in, or? Amongst coworkers, amongst yourself, how do you build a can-do mindset before you actually start teaching them how to actually do it? I see what you mean. So I think it's about aligning vision to begin with. Um, and I, I won't answer your exact question, but I'll answer something similar. I think it's going to get it. Very, very Jewish of you. Good job. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. Um, so... We, I had a, a friend that I was talking to beforehand. He works at another company, and he was telling me the following. He said, you know, I, I love working with our, co with our founder, um, our CEO, uh, because he is, with, with any single job function, it feels like he knows that job function better than anybody else at the company. And the thing I immediately thought was, wow, they did a terrible job hiring. Tell so me what. What do you mean? That, well, so that, that shouldn't be the case. Like, I'm... As the company scales, especially like able to share and then be able to hire people that can in every single one of our functions do that function better than me. Like I need, I need to be able to hire people who are better technologists than me. I need to be able to hire people who are better at marketing than me. I need to be able to hire people who are better than sale, at sales than me. And my job is to build trust with them and me such that they can go off and build things that are cooler than anything that I could build but at the same time align on vision such that anything that they're doing, like I could leave them alone theoretically for even a week, a month at a time, and I could come back and they'll have built something amazing that follows the company's vision. It's amazing. It sounds like a person needs a, a great deal of humility in this case then to be able to actively go out and recruit talent that's better than, than you. I, yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that's one of the key challenges that a startup founder has especially if you're coming into it um, from one specific area, like you're just a technologist or you're, you're just a salesperson or something like that. You know, if you, if you hire somebody that's better at you at that function, then it's like, well, what's my position now? I, I definitely know of other founders where that's gone through their heads and it requires some humility to be able to accept that, you know, you're, you're not going to be able to keep being the superhero the whole time. Like, your job as the founder, your number one, the most important thing that you could possibly do is hire people who are better than you. Do you think there's a way to, is, is that, was that a, now what's, what, I, I don't know in your own experience, but certainly if you are an engineer and your compensation and your, and your, you know, um, your position in the company is going to be, I'm assuming directly reflected by the amount of skill that you bring to the job. And then you're transferring over to, as a founder, your, your, your success is going to come by bringing people that are better than you in, in every single area onto the team. Is there a mindset shift that happened? Is there a, just, you know, realizing the realities of your new kind of a job or is that like lack of fear of, of having people that are better at you surround you something that you can even cultivate when you are in an employee position? I think it's something that you can cultivate when you are in an employee position. I think it's, um, it's, it's largely tied to how secure and confident you are in yourself. Interesting. So you'll, you'll see like, uh, within engineers, you'll see two types of engineers. One type of engineer, um, they'll build things that are incredibly complex. Uh, complicated is, is a better word for that. They'll build things that are incredibly complicated and they'll almost be defensive around letting other people learn them such that they know that they'll always have a job. They're the only person that knows this thing. They can never be fired because if, if they're fired, nobody else knows this very complicated thing that they built. And to me, like that's, that's a lack of confidence. That's a lack of security in yourself. You need to do this to create artificial barriers around it. Um, 
really, really good engineers, I think that they'll have more confidence, more security in themselves, and they'll almost, they'll build things as simply as possible. They'll want people to be as educated on them as possible. They'll almost be trying to work themselves out of that job function that they had so that they can go on to the next thing because they're confident that they're going to be successful at the next thing as well. I think that concept is so fundamentally important. And maybe you could say as a, as, as a founder, as someone that is making the hiring and firing decisions, when you look at someone who might have a tremendous technical skill, but is that first type of entrepreneur, you know, as a potential boss to this person, what's going through your head and, and how much of a detriment is that personality type to the overall team and the workforce and everything like that? Um, so we, we do our best not to hire folks like that. And, um, I think everybody has that tendency a little bit. Like I, I find myself finding into falling into that. Sometimes there are definitely situations where I, I lack the maturity that I wish I had. And I find myself combating that, that sort of, uh, mentality. Um, when that occurs, so for, for me personally, what I'll do is I need to sit back and kind of just look at the big picture. Usually it's, it, it happens to me more when I'm, I'm focused on some very small thing and I start to feel less secure than I ought to. Uh, when it's focused on folks around me, our, our coworkers, it's about making sure that people feel like, first of all, they're appreciated in, in what they do. Like when they have big wins, making sure that the company appreciates that sharing the vision of the company so that they know they understand all of these other things that they could do and making a kind of a precept of the company that you build things as simply as possible. You want other people to, to learn about them because that helps the company as a whole. So, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. So, so you're saying that, that the, you, you ideally wouldn't hire someone like that, but one of the ways that you, you com, com, combat the ego is, as a boss, or you can even say like as a parent or something like that is you give them enough sense of security and and love that they don't feel like that their position is kind of at risk. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's almost parenting advice that you could say is the same thing. It's like, you know, you, you can give someone enough sense of security that they're not always trying to prove themselves to you and then they can kind of show up as their best self. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, look, like I can't, I can't say that, um, you know, we never let any, anybody go like that. That will definitely happen if the person's the wrong fit. Um, but it's it's around educating a person what they should do in order to to be able to work here. Like you you share that vision, you share the sorts of things that um, the company desires going forward, so they have a really clear understanding of what they can do to help the company. Um, you definitely don't want to muddy the waters there. You don't want them to do something where they come back and they're like, "Look at this amazing job that I did," and you're like, "Uh, maybe that's not really what you should have been doing." I mean, when that happens, it's usually a failure on my part. It's like, "What did I? What did I share incorrectly in terms of the vision, such that this person thought that, uh, you know, doing X is 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 the right thing?" Uh, final final question for you, Ellie. Do you have a specific? program of philosophy, self-development. I mean, you're, you're speaking out at some very high level, um, you know, black belt development and personal stuff that you're going through. Are you just learning on the job or there, is there a set of like you know, philosophy or, or thoughts that you're studying outside that are kind of actively trying to build you and make you better? Um, first, that's very kind of you to say. I, I, I would say I'm still very much learning. Um, I try to read as much as I can. In, in my younger days, I read a lot of philosophy. Um, now it's, it's more about history. I think I learn a lot from history, especially like longer picture views of history. Some of my favorite recent books that I've read are, are Sapiens, 
Um, and uh, guns, germs, and steel. And I think that looking at stuff like that, viewing the way that humans developed more mechanically, um, it, it, it lets you have more empathy for people. Because you see them as, as a, a, meaning because you start to look at a person not as this person just did this, but this decision was the result of a very, very long time of other decisions and micro stuff going into that. Is that, yeah. is that what you're saying a little bit? Yeah, I think that that's it a little. Like, um, I don't know. The, the the thing that I really enjoy about one of the things that I really enjoy about life is that every year, um, the amount of empathy that I have, there's a nuance added to it. So, um, I'll give you an example. Like one of my my favorite rules when I was younger um, was uh, do unto others as uh, as you would do unto yourself. Don't do other unto others as you would not want done unto yourself. And for the longest time, like that seemed like, okay, this is, this is infallible. Like it's, uh, you know, it's perfect. Um, and then I, I ran into, I had a coworker a few years back and I would, you know, this was somebody that, um, that reported up to me and he, it turned out for whatever reason, he just really hated praise. And it's like, most people really like praise. Most people, when you praise them, they're like, oh, I'm appreciated. This is, this is great. This person, he really disliked praise. And so it, it, it kind of like put a little nuance to that rule. It's not just about, you know, I would like praise, so I should praise others. It's, it's really understanding why we like the things that we like, why other people might like the things that they like, and kind of tailoring our interactions to that. You have to really be able to put yourself into the shoes of another person. And to me, that's like one of the hardest things to teach, but it's also one of the most important life rules to living a happy life. Outstanding. Ellie, I appreciate it. Thank you so much for the time. There you have it, folks. Another inspiring episode. If you enjoyed this, I ask you to please share this with your friends and to like us over on Rabbi Rupp through Facebook or on YouTube. And the more that we're able to get these important messages out, the more that we can really make an impact in the world. So I encourage you, please, to stay tuned. Uh, We have a ton of amazing speakers coming up and also to tell your friends about it. Thank you very much.